Hey everybody, this is AJ. And Amanda. We are finally recording this podcast after a long time off because our children decided to get sick for like their entire life. Or at least the holidays in January. So if you have been keeping up with this podcast, you are fully aware that we have taken a long break and we apologize for that. If you are tuning in and you've never heard this podcast before, then guess what? You just get you get to go right into this next episode. So, yay for you. So, in this episode, we're going to go ahead and start. This is something uh, we talked about in our last series on Kingdom Management. We were, at the end of that, we were talking about this uh, series. Um, I'm going to call it Don't Feed the Animals. And this has been a really fun study for me. I've been studying it. Uh, for quite a while and it's really eye-opening and I believe it'll help a lot of people because I know it's helped me I've been teaching it um, wherever I'm preaching if I, it's a Sunday night or a Wednesday I'm teaching this uh, quite a bit so this is a topic I'm pretty familiar with and Amanda's heard me talk about it quite a bit so I'm looking forward to starting this podcast so if you are on the road Uh, Don't grab your Bible and follow along with us, but if you're sitting in your living room safe, grab a Bible and follow along with us. So I'm going to go ahead and start in Genesis 3. Um, This is where we're going to start this series. This has come through um, my passion for Hebrew and reading things in the original language. Just Some things have stood out to me, and I kind of want to bring them out in this series. So Genesis 3. And one, we all kind of know this scripture. If you don't, that's okay. But Genesis 3, 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle. That word there in Hebrew is arum. It's the only time that it's actually used uh, in a negative is right here. Uh, it's wisdom. He's got his own will is basically what that word is. He can make his own decisions. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So there's a ton of interesting things taking place in the early chapters of Genesis. Um, they're very applicable to us today, and I believe that this series is going to open our eyes to some major things uh, that will help us. There's two things that I want to draw attention to in this text that we just read, uh, and I'm going to build on that throughout the series. So first thing that we're seeing here is that Eve fed uh, the serpent, we'll call the serpent a beast. She fed this beast her attention, and then she fed her flesh satisfaction of wanting to be like God. These are the two most powerful voices in our lives on a daily basis. And they have to be discerned or we're never going to live in the manner in which God has designed us to live. So in this first lesson, I'm thinking we're probably going to do three or four lessons total. But in this first lesson, I want to talk about 
this animal, the serpent. So let's look at Genesis 1 so that we can see the context in which this story is unfolding in Genesis 3. So first thing we see in Genesis 1 verse 25, it says, And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you. Now watch this. This is important to notice right here. Look at the diet. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Now look, verse 30. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So there's a distinction between the diet. Basically, Adam and Eve were vegans. They had a plant-based diet, seed and fruit. And then to the animals, they ate from the grass of the ground. So there's several significant things to take notice of here in these verses. Both man and beast were created on the same day. They were created on day six. And the author of Genesis is trying to show us something here. So bear with me because I'm going to be talking about some new concepts here that you may not have heard before. So just kind of stick with me through this. What we're seeing on day six is that both man and animal is clearly shown in Genesis that they're both created from the dust of the ground. It clearly says that in Genesis. So what the author of Genesis is showing us here is that man and animal were created on the same day and man created after beasts is in the most technical sense a second born child on the same day coming from the earth. Now Man was made in the image of God. He was given dominion and authority over the beast, which was the firstborn on day six. And then God does something very unique. He re, uh, redoes what we see him doing in Genesis 1, where his ruach, his, his presence is hovering over the deep. This time his ruach is hovering over dirt. And he stamps his image in the dirt and the Bible says that he breathes into him the neshema. Now the neshema means in Hebrew, the spirit. The beast never got this treatment. The word for creature that was used for beast is nefesh, which means it's a, a living being with a will, a personality, a mind of its own. And when you see the neshema was breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. That word for soul there is the Hebrew word nefesh. So soul and creature is the same Hebrew word, nefesh. So both animal and man, they had a will. They had a mind of their own. They had a personality. They had emotions. But the man had a higher calling because he, was, he had the spirit of God breathed into him. So it's, it's an interesting thing when you're reading it in the Hebrew because it's we're literally the second born 
behind an animal. Uh, and you can chime in anytime you, you want to, but we are, we're the second born. And what's interesting is when you're reading this, you know, uh, recently I read that we have a 98% DNA match with chimpanzees. And scientists have, you know, kind of taken that and said that we have evolved uh, from chimpanzees. Well, that's just not the case, but there is no doubt that there's a 98% DNA match. What it is, is it goes all the way back to the garden. We were both created from dust. Um, and I'll pull up in my notes here in a minute. I don't have it in these notes. I have them in some other notes. I found the scripture the other day in Ecclesiastes. Solomon talks about that, uh, to which I'll get to in a moment. But we were both created from dust. Our substance is the same. But that 2% difference is not outward. It's something deep in the DNA. And psychologists have actually, uh, they've been having, a, scientists and psychologists have been having an issue with this because they don't know how to define mind. They don't quite understand how the human mind can think in terms outside of the body. They don't know how to put it into, into terms. It's, it's undiscoverable, the mind. Um, that links all the way back to the garden. We are different from animals because God himself hovered over us, made us in his image. He made us to have dominion and authority, and he filled us with the spirit, elevating us above this, this firstborn on day six. So it's really interesting what we're, we're seeing unfold here. Man was only to eat fruit and seeds, and the beasts were to eat the grass. So there was this division between man and beast, even though they were created from the same substance, dust, there were there was differences. God elevated man above the beast. So then this leads us to Genesis three, where a beast, uh, this serpent, comes along, whom the Bible describes as wiser than any of the other beasts of the field. And it's it's interesting because the word there for serpent is seraphim, which is we see that later in the prophets of these angelic beings that are in front of the throne. Uh, who cry holy, holy, holy. And the word seraphim, it means a fiery serpent, which is unique because we see in Ezekiel 28 that um, the devil walked in the fire of the Lord before he was, before pride was found in him and he was cast down. So we're finding this, this fiery serpent and it's intriguing because he has inside information it's as if he has been listening in on the throne room and he knows some things about God that the other animals don't. Um, and it probably bears mentioning that Eden, at this point in time, uh, when you read the prophets and you're connecting the dots, is this high mountain place. It's a place where heaven and earth would intersect. So this, this angelic being, it was... Adam and Eve lived in the place with the angelic, with cherubim, seraphim, archangels, all of these things. It was just, it was normal day-to-day -day life. The natural and the supernatural were together. They were melded together into one. And this wise being who had access to a throne room, knew things, he comes along as a beast. And it's almost, when you're reading in the Hebrew, you're almost seeing that he's a little hacked off, that... He's the firstborn. Why did the secondborn created from the dust get dominion and authority over him? And why did he get the image of God? And why did he get the spirit of God? It's almost when you read it in the Hebrew, you're, 
you're intended to see these things? And he asked a question. He said, Hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? To which the woman's famous reply is, The fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So right there, she misquoted the only scripture in her Bible. She had one scripture that she had to memorize, and she misquoted it. She said, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She added to the word God spoke in Genesis 2, and she lessened the result because God said, You shall surely die. And God never mentioned that she couldn't touch it. She added to, and then she lessened the consequences. So God told Adam, don't eat it or you will surely die. Now, I don't know where Adam was at during this. There was supposed to be one flesh. Where was Adam when this serpent was talking to his, his bride? I don't, I don't know that. It, it doesn't tell us. But Adam apparently failed in communicating this one law to Eve. Because she tells the beast a different version of God's oral word. So, I don't know, Adam wasn't the, the head of his house in this moment. He didn't do a very good job communicating the word to his wife because there was a miscommunication there. Something got lost in translation. So it's at this very moment that this beast, you know, he obviously saw, well, this chick don't know her word. I may as well lie now because she doesn't know it. And he says, you shall not surely die. Which is interesting that he uses the word there, surely. Mm. When she said, lest ye die. So he knew more about the word than she did. She quoted to him, God said, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And he regurgitated and he said, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He gave her just enough to whet her appetite. He not only lies, but he distorts her perspective and image of God. This serpent made God out to be some insecure God. You know, God's worried that if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like him and God's going to be intimidated by you. This is, this is the, the craziest thing that this serpent would distort the nature of God. God was not intimidated by us having, having be like him because he made us in his image. So this is, a, this is an interesting thing that's unfolding here. Why would he make God out to be insecure? And this, this dates all the way back to Genesis. This serpent was trying to distort an image, the image of God. God told them, I'm going to make you in my image. I'm going to give you dominion and authority. To Adam, I'm going to have you name all of the creatures and the name that you give them thereof, that shall be their name. The word creature there is nefesh. So it's the same thing as Adam. And God is sharing with him creative power. He's, create, he's giving him dominion and authority. He's given him image. God is anything but insecure. God's design was to share with man. And what's interesting is God made him in his image. And I think I talked about this in the um, kingdom management is this was a concept that we see in the Bible that we're intended to see here again in Genesis is that kings, when they were expanding their kingdoms, they would put their image there and that declared that they owned it. This is what God was doing. He created earth and then he put his image there with man. 
So man was in this high place, the only being on the planet filled with the spirit. The angels were spirit without flesh. And then God created flesh and gave it a spirit. We were very unique, uh, very uh, elevated in the eyes of God. And we bought into the lie that God was intimidated by us. And the pride, you can hear the pride when you're reading in Hebrew, boiling from the surface of the serpent. And his pride interjects into the, the nature of mankind and gives them pride by making God insecure. Mm. Not once remembering the fact that God made mankind in his image. Just very interesting um, unfolding of events here. So by this one act of feeding the animal her attention, the beast was able to distort the word of God and then finally distort God himself. All because this woman was feeding a beast her attention. Now watch the curse. Um, verse 14 of Genesis. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. Hebrew word therefore, eat, is actually inflame. So the curse to the serpent was, you're going to inflame dust, which is what our flesh was made of. So the curse given was, you're going to inflame flesh all the days of your life. You walked in the fire of the Lord, which was God's holiness veiled by fire. Now you're going to walk in the dust of man inflaming his flesh. Mm. So the word, like I said, is to inflame. And then he says, I will put enmity. And this was interesting when you pay attention between you and the woman and watch this this is i've never really paid attention to this until i did this study and between your offspring so satan had a baby and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel this beast gave birth to something that day as we see we'll see here in a moment that thing was sin sin was what the serpent gave birth to this was the day that sin was born and there's some very key words here, but before I get into that, look at verse 18, the curse to man. And I'm skipping a few things. If you're reading along with me, you can read verse 17. But he tells him in verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So the firstborn, let's break this down. The firstborn on day six, a beast created from the same place that mankind was created from, dust. He was below the beast in every way, shape, and form. No image, had no dominion, had no authority, had no spirit, was just a beast with a will and a personality and an imagination. This beast comes and has the second born sell their birthright of dominion and authority. authority. And it was at this moment that when they sold their birthright, which was dominion, authority, image, and spirit to this beast the beast gained the birthright and god puts a hairy garment on mankind he clothes them in animal skins now the author of genesis is trying to show us something here and then the curse here is you shall eat the plants of the field now remember our diet was nuts and fruit now we're eating grass which is what the animals used to eat so now we're wearing, according to Psalm 8, 
it says Adam was crowned with glory and honor. The word crown means clothed. Our clothing was glory and honor. When rebellion was found in us, the spirit lifted off of us. And we did surely die. Now, I've always read this and I was kind of confused. Did God, did God lie to us? Did he make a, did he just, he kind of lie and say, ah, you know what? I'm going to go back on my word. I'm not going to kill him. That seems a little, a little harsh. Well, God's not unstable. He's not double-minded and unstable in all his ways. The Bible said he's not a man that he can lie. So did man die or did they not? They did die. Their soul was still alive, which was their mind, their intellect, their personality. Their flesh was still living. But spiritually, Adam and Eve died because the glory lifted off of them because the glory of God could not sit on rebellion. They had a cloak of hairy skins put on them like an animal. Now they're eating the grass of the field. The serpent has the birthright. He now has dominion and authority. This this mysterious being whom theologians believe is Satan. He has dominion and authority over the earth. And now mankind, the Bible says that they were cast out towards the east. And the reason why it's called the fall of man is because remember, Eden was a mountain place, a high place where heaven and earth intersected. Well, they're cast down. Cherubim go out with flaming swords and they're protecting Eden, this holy mountain. And mankind is cast. When you see the word east in the Bible, it's it's somewhat of a type and shadow of going downward. You're going away from something. They're headed down east and they settle down in a valley somewhere as a cursed being who now are limited to a finite amount of years rather than eternity where they used to live on this holy mountain. The serpent was cast down with them into this lower lower portion and he now has dominion and authority. Man has fallen below their calling. So that's what you mean when you said he received their birthright. Yes. Or they sold their birthright. Okay. Where because they had dominion to subdue the animals and sorry, I just realized I wasn't close enough to the microphone. <laughs> but that's what that's what you're talking about is they they sold their birthright of their dominion yeah. over the earth and now Satan has dominion of the earth. Got yeah, it. and I'm actually thinking about this. This segues perfect, and I wasn't intending to do this from our kingdom management. Their calling was to manage the earth. That was they were to be basically farmers, is what we're seeing here. They were to be wise in their their endeavor to manage the earth. They were to fill it. They were to occupy it, tend to it, have babies, expand the image across the planet, and have authority over these animals and now god is telling them because you sold your birthright to an animal now you're cursed just like an animal you were created from the same substance but now my spirit has lifted you're an animal just like they are you're a beast with desires with with pride lust you're uncontrollable and they're cast down off of this holy mountain and there's cherubim with flaming swords protecting this holy mountain and man has fallen below their calling uh, it's psalm 8 that says that we were made a little lower than the angels and now we're cast down way below it and we're we're just we've become animals 
He tells them in verse 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, I'm going to back up out of my notes here for a second and pull up a scripture that I found just the other day in Ecclesiastes. Listen to what Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible and on the planet, this is what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 3.17. This blew my brains out all over the wall the other day and I had to clean up the whole office. It said, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. <laughs> For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. That was like, I read that the other day and it just totally tripped me out. So Solomon is, he's connecting us back to what we should know from Genesis 1. We're supposed to have this understanding by reading the first book of the Bible. And we're supposed to realize that man died spiritually, sold their birthright to an animal, becoming like an animal in every way, shape, and form. And our destiny now at this point is not eternity. We've died spiritually. So this is what God tells man in verse 19. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That is our destiny. And if, if you talk to an ancient Jewish person, their greatest fear above everything was death because of this scripture. Because it was the end of that was it. Their existence ceases and they go back to dirt. There was no hope of eternity. There was no hope for them of anything more than just dying. They feared more than anything in the world, death. This dates back thousands of years to the ancient uh, Jewish people, scared of death because of this moment right here. So God then finishes off the punishment with telling mankind they will no longer dwell in eternity, but now for a finite number of years on earth, and then they would return to the thing they were created from, dust. And now, rather than liberty and freedom and dominion, they're going to have this being, this spiritual being. That's what the, the seraphim was. He was this spiritual being without flesh. He is now nipping at their heels, inflaming their flesh, trying to keep them from the holy mountain because he no longer has access to this holy mountain. All of these little hints in the Hebrew Bible are very important, and God is having the ancient authors highlight these things for us so that we would catch on to some things. From the beast is born sin, and its only appetite is our flesh and our ultimate death. Now, watch the brilliance of this Hebrew author, which we believe is Moses. You know, Moses wrote the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Look at what God is showing us through, through Moses here. So Genesis four, um, we go through the story. You can read along. I'm not going to read all these scriptures. I'm not going to read these seven verses. If you're following along with us, 
we know that Adam and Eve, they've settled down. They're like animals. They no longer have dominion, authority, spirit, none of that. They have babies. They have a firstborn son, right? little Cain. They have a secondborn son, baby Abel. Well, one day in the story, Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to God. And we're seeing an entire repeat of everything that we just read. There is conflict between the firstborn and the secondborn. God favors the sacrifice of the secondborn. And the firstborn is hacked off about it yet again. And this firstborn gets so angry that God didn't accept his sacrifice that he kills the secondborn. We're seeing it all over again. The firstborn in, in the garden, this, this beast, kills, spiritually kills mankind. Right. And now outside the garden, this firstborn kills his brother, Abel. And this check out what the Lord does. I love this, this concept right here. The Lord was so passionate and willing to communicate. There was, a, there was a God that wanted to communicate with man right here. The Lord said to Cain in Genesis 4 verse 6, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? This is a reconciling God trying to get to the root of the problem. He's saying, here, I want to help you. Why are you so angry? And he tells him, he said, he gives him instruction. He says, don't you know if you do well, you will be accepted. I'm willing to reason with you. If you do well, you'll be accepted too. Don't get all jealous and angry and murderous. You're better than that. You were called higher than this. Your parents were called higher than this. If you do well, I'll accept you. I'm giving you a little hint here on how to be better. But this is what he says. If you do not do well, watch, here's the baby, the baby that the serpent had. Sin is crouching at the door. Hebrew verbs here are intending for us to see an animal. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. And watch this. Here's our original place. You must have rule over it. Mankind, I gave you dominion and authority over animals. This has nothing to do with wildebeest, buffaloes, meerkats, pigs. This has nothing to do with that now. The new animal that you're going to have to have dominion over is your flesh and this sin that is born out of a serpent. You must rule over sin. You're in control. Have dominion over it. Is all this sounding familiar? Yep. History is repeating itself. God honors the secondborn son's offering over the firstborn. Cain gets angry. Kills him, warns him, helps him, tells him sin's crouching at the door. So to be restored to our original posture in the garden, we have to learn how to have dominion over beasts. The serpent is the first beast we have to have dominion over. The second beast is us. We're the beast. We have to have dominion over the devil. We have to have dominion over our flesh. I could end this series right here and you would get what I'm talking about, but I want to build on it more. Next week, or not next week, but in the next episode, I'm going to discuss us, this this animal. You and I are animals. But for the remainder of this uh, podcast, I want to talk about how not to feed the serpent. So to understand how best to overcome the beast, let's look at a successful secondborn. 
because we need to see the second born here that, that did it. Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. And we read that in the epistles. There's a lot of references to Jesus being the second Adam. Now let's look real quick at Mark 1. Mark chapter 1 verse 10. This is, is going to get good. Check this out. I'll show some more things all throughout the Old Testament to kind of steady up and confirm what I'm talking about here because I know these are new concepts. In the next episode, you're you're going to see all through the New Testament, we're seeing this beast. Um, and I don't want to give too much away. I really want to talk about it now, but I'm going to refrain. And I'm going to have dominion over my flesh to talk about it. But Mark 1, uh, verse 10, we're looking at a second born here. Talking about Jesus says, and when he came up out of the water, I'm going to pause right here. By the way, Jesus is being baptized by a man in a hairy garment right here. By the way, John the Baptist is wearing a hairy cloak, the same one that Elijah and Elisha was wearing. Um, John and Jesus are at the exact same place that Elijah and Elisha was at, at the Jordan River, the Jordan, which in Hebrew means to descend upon. So right here, the old, old covenant, is ending and the new one is beginning in this moment. So this man in a hairy garment, this this animal-like man, he's a wild man, the Bible says, with honey and locusts in his beard and a hairy garment, and he doesn't care about your feelings at all, and he's calling Pharisees a brood of serpents, and he says the axe is at your roots and the Lord is chopping you down. This dude baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately... He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Right here, if you read the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew version of the New Testament, not the Greek versions, the Septuagint, the word here, all the wording here are the same Hebrew words used in Genesis 1 when the spirit hovered over man when he was dirt. The Ruach came and descended on him and right here in this moment, we hear a voice from heaven in verse 11. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, right here. Verse 12. Check this out. It's getting good. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast. What is Mark talking about? He was with the wild beasts. He goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the serpent. The second Adam, another uh, one of the gospels says he was thrust out towards the east. Same thing that we saw in Genesis. So this second Adam, the second born, is now striving to do what the first born could not do. He's trying to overcome the serpent and overcome the beast. It's important to understand that Jesus was fasting at this time for 40 days. He was killing flesh. He was in the full image of man while being fully God. And he was killing the beast himself as well as overcoming the serpent. So is this, is this like amazing or what? Like this, every time I study this, it just like, it blows my mind. And I haven't even talked about the Old Testament yet, all the little things that we see in the Old Testament. No, I'm trying to make sure that you have all the time you need. We're only at 35 minutes. We usually do an hour, so we're good. 
We might even end early. Not likely. It's possible. So after Jesus is baptized and the Spirit descends on him, the Bible says that he was driven into the wilderness. The Greek phrase for this is literally that he was hurled out into the wilderness. Sounding familiar? Yep. The Bible says he was tempted by Satan, which the Hebrew word uh, Satan means accuser, gossiper, slanderer. So just a little Bible trivia there. If you're a gossiper, you're satanic. Um, (laughs) Just throw that in there. (laughs) Yeah. And he was with the wild beast. So funny. Just, it's so funny because it's just like the authors are obviously trying to connect us to something here. Let's read uh, Matthew 4. Same, same episode, same things happening. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Same old devil, he's quoting scripture. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What Jesus was saying here is he said, I'm not living off of flesh. I'm living off of another food source. I'm tying into the Spirit now. I'm doing something that man has yet to be able to do up until this point. I'm feasting off of the Spirit, not my flesh. So verse 5, the devil take him up to a holy city and send him on a pinnacle of the temple. He said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash their foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of all the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Notice right here that Jesus doesn't correct him. Because remember, this firstborn beast, he got dominion. He's the prince and power of the air now. Right. Notice Jesus doesn't correct him and say, You have no power. You have no jurisdiction. He does. This earth is his domain. Right. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaves him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. One of the gospels says the devil left to find another opportunity to tempt him. Jesus refused to feed the animal, the serpent. He's starving out Satan. And he's saying, I am going to do in this flesh what the first Adam and Eve could not do. He did not feed the serpent. He did not give him any attention. I can't remember if I heard you say this or if it's just in my head. Probably heard you say it. But he says twice there, you know, as it is written or it is written. And basically he's quoting scripture at the devil, whereas Eve misquoted Right. Uh, I guess oral scripture would have been right. what it was. Good point. Um, and so it's easy to get mixed up and confused and tricked and all of that when you don't have scripture memorized or out of context. It's much easier to be tripped up by yes. the devil in our lives if you're misquoting or you're pulling it out of context. Excellent point. 
yeah um and to kind of feed in on that a little bit more and unpack it even the devil quoted scripture he has he has no respect for my opinion he has no respect for my view of this world he respects scripture because you notice when Jesus quoted scripture there was no argument there was no debating it was done <laughs> the only time he debated was when mankind quoted it wrong in the garden but you notice that the devil did not do to Jesus what he did to Eve he debated Eve and he said thou shalt not surely die for God knoweth in the day thereof that to eat that you shall become like gods that's <laughs> knowing good and evil he debated with someone who didn't know scripture but somebody who knew it there was no more questions he just shut his mouth this is tying into the scripture that says submit yourself unto the Lord resist the devil and he will flee from you so I'll just say this the only time you can have authority by the word of God is if you're submitted to the word of God not indifferent if you're doing what that book tells you to do you have authority by it but if you are arguing with it and rejecting it the devil has no respect for you and he can walk all over you he did not debate with Jesus when he saw that there was no foothold to get he left and he said okay I'm dealing with a different man now this dude has studied this dude is different he is obviously knows the scripture i can get no advantage on him so the bible says he left and he was looking for another opportunity well, i was just thinking because in you know 2020 we have instant access any anybody who is shaky in their beliefs or agnostic or atheist or whatever you want to call yourself has access to google or a bible or whatever um at the tip you know, their fingertips. And so if you don't understand the context of a scripture, or if you don't know that scripture at all, it's extremely easy to, to get very confused or tripped up. Um, because without that context, people can say anything. Yeah. And we've, we've seen a lot of that. And, all of us are subject to misunderstanding scripture because we're not, we're Americans. We're not Jews. We're kind of coming into it with a, a disadvantage. We also, we don't know the culture. We also work 40, 60, 80 hours a week. Yeah. You know, we live in a fallen society where that's all mostly necessary to survive. And so we don't have eight to 10 hours a day to necessarily study and parse apart scripture and. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, it's a lifelong uh, battle for time to commit to all that. Yeah, and we're in a unique age with podcasting, um, teachings all, you know, all throughout our movement. So we're in a very unique time where we're getting more access to people who do have 40 to 60 hours to just study, parse scripture, learn Hebrew. Um, and that should be the thing, you know, the Bible is the bread of life. I know we're kind of getting away from the topic at hand, but it's fine. 
but the the Bible is the bread of life. And what I've seen Jesus do with bread is he always broke it and multiplied it and gave to people around him. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, those of us who have time to study, dig apart scripture, I think the greatest thing we can do is start a podcast and, and help people who are driving to work right now listening to this. And if there is a time where, like, we finally get a revelation of a scripture that we have looked at culturally wrong for years. There's nothing wrong with an apology and saying, ah, man, I'm going to humble myself, readdress this. I think that's, I think that's noble. But all in all, Jesus quoted scripture. The devil had nothing else to say because he said, you know, I can't argue with truth. He quoted me the infallible word. I can't say anything else. He shut his mouth and he left. The point I'm wanting to show here is that Jesus did not feed this serpent his attention the way the first man did. Mm-hmm. There's practical um, advice here in that. We're, we're having to look at this, this man who overcame, Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, how do I overcome this world? Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have troubles, but be of good cheer. I overcame this world. The word world there is cosmos. It means rebellion. I've overcome this rebellion. So that's what we've got to look at. How did Jesus do it? He didn't feed it any attention. He had no, he just, there was something he ignored, something he separated himself from. He says, I've got no time for you. (laughs) I'm going to ignore you. So check this out. James 4, verse 4. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, that's cosmos there again, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is not, or it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here's the formula. Stop giving the world your attention. (laughs) It's a tall order, it would seem, but if we really want to be overcomers, this is the formula. Stop feeding the serpent. When you starve him out, he dies in your life and he moves to another watering hole to feed somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And we as brethren in Christ, we should help one another who the devil is feasting on their lives. But we have to starve him out. So I want to get a little bit more practical in this. First and foremost, you and I will never be able to resist the devil unless you have the power of the spirit dwelling in you. We'll unpack that in the a little bit more in the next uh, episode. But even after the indwelling spirit, we then must choose to submit ourselves to God daily. Then and only then can we resist the devil. We have to apply scripture. We have to be submitted to scripture. We have to learn scripture. There is a need and necessity to memorize scripture for those moments where the devil's trying to get our attention. We can quote him scripture he leaves because that's all he respects. doesn't respect my voice. He respects the voice. Now, a lot of times we treat the devil like the opposite of God. Good versus evil. Nice versus mean. Grace 
versus accuser, life versus death, etc. Kind of like the bad guys on a superhero movie, how they have their own special powers that they use to give the hero a good fight. So we have to correct something. The devil isn't even on the same playing field as God. He's not even in the fight. We forget sometimes the devil was created and no creation will ever be greater than the creator. The devil is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-encompassing like God. So with that being known, the devil cannot read your mind. I'm just picturing, so you think of the devil in a boxing ring. <laughs> Made me laugh. Think of the devil in a boxing ring, and then now you have to remove him because you said he's not even in the fight. So really, it's just the little guy on the sidelines on the other side of the, the bungees or whatever they're called. And he's really just yelling stuff into the ring while you're in there by yourself, beating the tar out of exactly. yourself. As Paul said, we're beating the wind. Because he's not even actually in the ring. Yeah, that's a great example. Because the devil's outside the ring and he has no he has no dog in the fight, so to speak. So all he has is his voice on the side like, you're never going to win. You're a loser. You're worthless. He's not even in the ring. Well, technically the Bible says we've already won if we're grafted into Christ. So We're overcomers. Right. The devil knows that, so what he does is he lies to us and says he's, he screams from the side, and imagine we have a blindfold over our face, and he's like, I'm in the ring. I'm swinging at you right now. And we're like, oh, God, what do I do? Turn left. It's left. Left. And he's not even in the ring. Because Isaiah 14, you know, we just quoted to him what Isaiah 14 is. Is this the man who's caused the trouble to the nations? He's been trampled down. He's, he's defeated. So the devil can't read our mind what he does is he accuses he's the accuser of the brethren he just screams at us and intimidates us and gives us fear and all that good stuff he does not know your thoughts the way god does we have given what power he does have to him we've done that so this is a, a saying that i started telling the young people when we were student pastors what the devil don't know won't hurt you so Basically, there was this one day I was just like really having a rough day and I was acting terrible, you know, just acting out and everything. And then I kind of I was going into youth that night to preach and I washed my face, so to speak, in prayer. And I told God, I said, God, I'm not going to not going to let the young people know that I've had a bad day. And this is what God told me. He said, that's real good, but you've let you've let the devil know. And now he's exploiting it. And that's where that was birthed from. What the devil don't know won't hurt you. What we do when we've had a bad day is we just deny the flesh. And we don't give the devil the satisfaction because what he sees bothers us. That's what he exploits. So since Satan can't read your mind, how does he know that loneliness causes you depression? By the way we act in our flesh. Or how does he know that bullying causes you to doubt God's protection? How does the devil know that you're afraid? How does the devil know that you don't have faith that God will provide in your finances? So how does he do this? What tipped him off that anyone that doesn't share your same opinion makes you angry and prone to lash out? How does the devil know all that stuff? Mm -hmm. We show him. We're feeding him our attention. When we act out in the flesh, there's something that was uh, interesting and you've heard me talk about this before. When you read in 
the book of Samuel, you see that Saul is trying to kill David. You see that Saul is running down David and persecuting him. But in Samuel, you don't see David ever acting out in any way outwardly. Right. You don't, you don't, you read this and you're like, man, David's a boss. <laughs> you know, David's not giving in to his flesh whatsoever. No, he seems confident in his decisions and yep. actions and all of that. Seems like he's got it all together. Uh, as an insecure being, we would look at David and be like, man, if I could just be like David, if I could just have dominion over the circumstances around me the way he does, I wish I could be like him, which is what we do every day when we go to church and we see the preacher or we see somebody else and we're like, man, if I could just get my life together like them. Right. Then you pick up the book of Psalms. <laughs> and you are reading something entirely different than what you've seen in Samuel. You read Psalms and you're like, man, David's a crybaby. David's like crying unto the Lord and like, why won't you protect me? Why have you forsaken me? Why won't you answer me? Why have you left me? All of these, all of my enemies are persecuting me. And you're reading something entirely different than what we've seen in Samuel. So Samuel is showing the actions. Psalms is showing the mind, the prayer, the mind. Yeah. You can go into your prayer room in the secret place, as David called it. Psalm 91. Where the devil has no access or jurisdiction. You're under the shadow of the Almighty. And you can just totally let God, let it all out. You can just say, God, I don't know how I'm going to take care of this. I don't know how I'm going to pay my college I don't know how I lost tops. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you can wash your face, walk out that door, and act outwardly different than you feel inwardly. And I know what people will say. Be true to yourself. That's hypocritical. That's dumb. That's faith is what you're doing. When you don't act outwardly the way you feel inwardly, that is faith. You are walking by faith, not by sight. That's not hypocritical. You're you're you stop being true to yourself. <laughs> you need to be true to the spirit. I don't know how this is going to be fixed, but I know God's going to take care of it. Now, obviously, this is assuming you didn't cause your own problems. You know, if you cause your own problems, you that's what you sow, that's what you reap. But if you are living righteously, you're submitted to the word of God, things just aren't working out. Go into your prayer time, cry it out, wash your face, come out, and find the joy in life. Live out Proverbs. Start applying some knowledge, some practical application from Proverbs, and just say, you know what, I still have my health. I lost tops, I still have my health. Find something to rejoice in. As Paul said, I have learned that in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. But you can act outwardly differently than you feel inwardly. And it confuses the devil to no end because he cannot read your mind. He doesn't see that you're falling apart inside. Right. He's looking outside. So you know the illustration I'm going to use here. Yeah. It's my favorite illustration. It's kind of like fishing. Without a fish finder, I'm totally blind. And I, we have a pond behind our house and I get to fish just about every day. I don't have a sonar. I don't have all that fancy equipment. I've got my bass fishing uh, reels. I've, you know, I can, I know the seasons. I can read the the seasons. I can check the weather. I have an app that tells me the barometric pressure. 
I know when fish are biting and I know when my chances are high. So I go out and I start fishing and I use bait based off of the water clarity. I'm, and I know what I'm fishing for. I'm fishing for bass. You're so basically I'm, using your knowledge and experience of fish. Right. To make the best possible choice. So that I can come home something. with a catch. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm doing. So I cast out and my first few casts, I'm testing the, the lures. And after a few casts, if I'm not catching anything, and more than a few casts, but after several casts, if I'm not catching anything, I'll say, okay, they're not biting on that. Let's move on. And I'll cast a new bait. I'll try different techniques. If the water's really choppy and it's the weather's kind of loud, I'm going to throw a, you know, a chatter bait, a spinner bait, rattle trap, something like that, trying to catch a bass. I know what to do based off of the weather and the seasons. I'm going to keep doing that because I'm patient and I'm going to catch a fish. Mm-hmm. So let's apply that same concept to the devil. He cannot read your mind. He has no sonar, no access to your thought life. He's reading the outside and he's comparing you to years of information he's collected, data he's picked up. On the human experience. On the human experience. He has experienced Samson. He has experienced Judas. He's experienced Saul, Nebuchadnezzar, all of these individuals. So what he does is he's watching and he's saying, okay, how do, what are they biting on? And so he'll plop open his tackle box. He'll reach in and he'll say, okay, that young man, he, he's been biting on lust quite a bit. Let's cast that one in the, in the pond. And what he's doing is you and I that are, are blood-bought, we're behind the crimson flow of the blood. The devil has no access beyond that blood. What he does is he's trying to get us to cross the blood. So he casts bait. Lust. I've caught that guy on that before. Let's see if we can get him on it again. Let's, let's not just talk about young men. And you help me with this. I've got that young lady's emotions all haywire by a guy saying the right things. Let me go get one of my young men that are living for me and totally not saved. I'll get him to say the right words to her and I'll get her emotions all over the place again where she can't hear the voice of God. She's bit on it before. She might bite on it again. Or I've noticed that if um, someone cuts them off in traffic, they'll get angry. (laughs) I've seen them bite on it before. Our greatest weapon is not feeding (laughs) this beast. We can't feed the beast. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we have to sit and we, and we have to tell ourselves, I'm feasting from something far better than a cheap imitation bait that you're casting me right now. There's nothing sustaining. It's not even real. Right. You're, you're tossing me. If a fish knew that what I was tossing in that pond every day wasn't even real. And there was a hook on the end. Yeah. They would, be, they would straight up be like, there's no point. Why feast on that when I can have the real thing? So, here, we'll just say it. Why feast on premarital sex when you can have a marriage? A successful, healthy marriage. Why, why feast on doubt when you can wait and see the redemption of the Lord and have an amazing testimony of how God provided when you didn't think He would? Why feast from an imitation 
when you can have the real thing? Why eat grass like an animal when we were called to have fruit and nuts? That's the devil's tool. He's trying to get our attention. He's fishing for us. And he's looking for trophy. What he wants to do is he wants to put us on the wall and show us off and embarrass us and say, yep, they used to be ministry-minded. They had a ministry. But they had one moment with an imitation bait. Now look at them. That's what he does. Yeah. Why feed that? Satan uses what he knows by experience will affect us. And the first bait he's going to cast is the one that we've bitten on before. When we don't bite on that one anymore because we're getting wiser, he's going to try a new one. This is why Paul said, we are not ignorant to the devil's devices. Paul, up in age, was saying, I just don't bite anymore. I've done all that. I'm sick of it. The things that I want to do, I do not. The things that I do, I do not do. And all, that whole scripture. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I don't do it anymore. It doesn't make sense. I've gotten a revelation of a, a better God. So yeah, I've let things go. I don't go certain places. I don't entertain certain things. I've had to let go of things because it's imitation. It's not real. So that's why Psalm 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. That was an outward expression. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. That was what David learned to do outwardly. Right. We tell the devil what bakes, what bait works best by our actions. Stop getting angry. Maybe that's that's a that's a tall order. You've struggled with anger your whole life. Tomorrow, be angry less. Today's Tuesday, so Wednesday, be angry less. Thursday, develop a plan. Separate yourself from the things that make you angry. Friday, get you somebody who's spiritual and hold you accountable, who will get in your face and be like, bro, stop going there. Stop putting yourself in the situation of getting angry. It's not even worth it. Don't go. Saturday, develop a prayer life. Replace the things that make you angry with something that gives you joy. This is, I'm I'm trying to be practical. Yeah. Sunday, rejoice in the Lord for how far you've come from Tuesday. And then on Monday, repeat all that. It's not worth it to feast on imitation when you can feast from the table of peace, joy. It's just stop feeding the animals. The serpent is the first animal. Next episode, I'm going to talk about the animal of our flesh. You have anything you want to add before we... Alright, well this is the end of this episode. Tune in the next one as we'll be talking about a far greater animal. That's us. We're not dealing with Satan as much as we're dealing with our own selves. And we're going to discuss that in the next episode. Hope you got something out of this. Uh, We're having a good time discussing it. And we will 
not see you, but we will be talking to you and you'll be listening to us hopefully in the next episode. Thank you for supporting this channel.